Andrew Womack Ministries presents this session from the 2015 Pasadena Gospel Truth Rally. We pray that the Word of God will come alive in your heart as you listen. Praise God. Let's turn over to Romans chapter 6. You know, I wish I had time to put this in its proper context. The book of Romans is a powerful, powerful book. And if you don't have Romans as one of your favorite books, then that means that you don't have a real good revelation of the gospel because that's what the book of Romans is all about. Romans 1.16 says, I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God unto salvation. And the reason most people aren't seeing the real power of God released in their life, either for healing or for finances or for joy or peace or relationships or whatever it is, is because they don't understand the gospel. We say we understand the gospel, but the word gospel has become a religious cliche. And there's many people that will sit there and shout, you know, repent or else, turn or burn. You're going to hell if you don't repent. And they'll say, that's the gospel. The word gospel means good news. And that's not good news. It may be true, but it's not good news to tell a person you're going to hell. And so people think, well, that's the gospel. No, it's not. The word gospel is not just saying that you can be saved. Jesus died for your sins is not the gospel. It's part of the gospel. It's a very important piece of information, but the word gospel is specifically talking about how do you receive this? And it's emphasizing the grace of God that God has already paid everything and all you've got to do is believe and receive. And sad to say today, most of the church is not being told the proper way to receive from God. They're being told that you have to live holy, that you have to basically earn the blessing in the favor of God. That's not the gospel. And I know that there's some of you sitting here tonight who may say, well, I don't agree with that. I don't believe that's true. I could spend all night trying to make this point and I believe I could win you over, but that's not what I'm wanting to share on. I'm just saying that that's what the book of Romans is talking about. It's trying to get us away from this idea that you have to be worthy and earn the favor of God. God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's Romans chapter five, verse eight. And then verse nine says, much more now, being justified by faith, we shall be saved from wrath through him that loved us. If you can accept that Jesus died for you while you were a sinner so much that he, he died for you, he loved you and died for you, well then how much more does he love you now that you've been born again? But sadly with a lot of religious people, it's how much less. They believe that God loves the sinner, but they believe God is tough on the saint. If you don't do everything just right, that God is liable to let you die of sickness and disease. He'll put things on you to break in, to hurt you. And that is not the true gospel. (coughs) Excuse me, like I said in that video, I ran off the road yesterday and went into a ditch in the snow. and, And I had to run up our driveway I had to walk up the road and run up our driveway. It's about a mile and it was really cold. And I was trying to hurry to get there so I wouldn't miss the bus. 
and I breathed that cold air and it affected my voice. Last night I could barely talk. I'm better tonight, believe it or not, but I still got a tickle in my throat. So if you can bear with me, <clears throat> I will get this out. Amen. So anyway, the book of Romans is showing you that God loves you completely independent of your performance. It's not about your holiness. It's about what Jesus did for you. And all you've got to do is learn how to receive. So that's what's already been talked about. And in the last verse of chapter five, it says in verse 21, that as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. And sin reigned or had dominion and power through the law. The law is what caused condemnation and it actually made sin come alive. But it says that grace reigns through righteousness. Righteousness here is talking about a faith righteousness, not a righteousness that you produce by your own good works, but rather it's talking about a righteousness that comes by faith in Jesus. <coughs> Excuse me, it's a gift. And that's what he's talking about. So look in chapter six, verse one. After he said all of these things, here's one of the most radical statements that Paul has made in chapter six, verse one. He said, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? And of course the answer to that's in verse two, God forbid. And I'm gonna be talking about this more, but let me just first of all say this that there's four times in Paul's writings, twice right here in this chapter, and then two other times that when he was talking about the gospel and the grace of God, the apostle Paul said, what am I saying? Am I saying that we should continue in sin so that God's grace would abound? And of course, every single time he said, God forbid, which in the Greek language is about as close to profanity as you can get without cussing. It's an absolute negative. No, that's not what I'm saying. But four different times the Apostle Paul asked this question because it is a logical thought. If you're talking about that God doesn't demand your holiness, you do not have to be worthy. You don't have to earn God's favor. Well, then does that mean that we can just go live in sin? Because after all, God doesn't relate to us based on our own goodness. That's a logical question. And let me say this, that if you have never asked that question, you've never heard the true gospel. Paul had to answer this question four different times. Anytime you preach the true gospel and you separate God's goodness to you from your performance, it's gonna lead to asking this question, can we just live in sin? No, that's not what he's saying, but it is a logical question. And I can guarantee you that most people today have never had that thought cross their mind, not religious people. <coughs> religious people have had it crammed down their throat that if you don't live holy and if you don't do everything right, if you don't go to church, if you don't pay your tithes, if you don't do all of these things, God won't bless you. Most people immediately, if you were to pray for something and didn't see it come to pass, most people would immediately think, well, there must be sin in my life. There must be something I'm doing wrong. We've been taught that. We've been brainwashed. Most people never have had this thought, can I just live in sin? 
because I'm under grace, because the true grace and gospel of God has not been taught. When Paul taught the gospel, he had to answer that question over and over again. If you hear the true gospel, you will come to this place. Does this just mean that we can go live in sin? And Paul says, God forbid, absolutely not. And he gives two reasons in this sixth chapter why you don't live in sin. The first one is that you are dead to sin. I'm gonna focus on that primarily tonight and talk about what being dead to sin means. And then the second reason is down in verse 16, and he says, know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves, servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. If you yield to sin, then you yield to the author of that sin, which is Satan, And the Bible says in John chapter 10, verse 10, that the thief comes for no other purpose except to steal, kill, and to destroy. If you yield to sin, then you are yielding to Satan, the author of that sin, and he's gonna steal, kill, and destroy from you. So the two reasons he gives in this chapter is first of all, your nature has been changed. You are dead to sin. And secondly, if a Christian sins, It's not that God turns from you. It's not that God doesn't answer your prayer. Sin does not affect your relationship with God. There, I said it. I've been trying to dance around that because most people can't swallow that. They choke on it. But I'm telling you, sin doesn't change your relationship with God. God is not loving you more if you don't sin and he doesn't love you less if you do sin. And I know that there's people just like, you can't say things like that. It's not because I'm encouraging sin. Sin is still deadly, but not because God rejects you, but because it gives Satan direct access to you and he's gonna come steal, kill, and destroy. Sin doesn't change God's heart towards you, but it changes your heart towards God. It'll harden your heart. It'll make you insensitive towards God. It gives Satan direct access to you. Sin is stupid. If you're living in sin, quit living in sin. Amen. Amen. But what I'm saying is God loves you, stupid. (laughs) And I hadn't got time to deal with this tonight, but I'll drop this bomb and you can do with it what you want to. But you know what? God's already forgiven all of your sins, past, present, and even the sins you hadn't committed. Even sins you haven't committed have already been forgiven. I know some of you are sitting there thinking this is blasphemy. How could you say such a thing? Man, that's what Hebrews chapter nine and chapter 10 says five times in chapter nine. It talks about that your sins are already forgiven. He's already given you eternal redemption, eternal inheritance. And then in chapter 10, you've been sanctified and perfected forever. It's already done. You don't lose your right standing with God every time you sin. If you think that every time you sin, that it separates you from God, either eternally or temporarily, and you won't get a prayer answered, then you don't understand the gospel. You don't understand grace you are still basing your relationship with God on your performance instead of faith in a savior. Boy, those are huge statements. 
Those are huge statements that get me kicked out of a lot of churches, that get me in trouble. I've been kicked off television and radio stations, people saying this is heresy and stuff, but it's the gospel. And that's what Romans is talking about. If these things I'm saying are strange to you, I bet the book of Romans is strange to you. Because this is what Romans is saying over and over and over and over again. So anyway, in Romans chapter six, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin so that grace may abound? God forbid. And look at this in verse two. It says, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? What does it mean to be dead to sin? Well, it's obvious what it doesn't mean. This doesn't mean that you can't sin because Christians sin. Christians come short of what they're supposed to be. And sin needs to be defined. I could spend a lot more time on this, but the scripture says, to him that knows to do good and does it not, to him it is sin. I think that's James 4, 17. Also, it's... uh, in James, let's see, where is this? Anyway, James 4, 17 is good enough. To him that knows to do good and does it not, to him and his sin. And so sin is not only you, fate, you breaking a command, but sin is if you know you're supposed to be doing good and you don't fulfill it, then that's sin. And every one of us know that we're supposed to love God more than we do. We're supposed to love other people more than we do. We're supposed to love our mate more than we do. We're supposed to do all kinds of things. And so sin is not only breaking a direct command, but sin is falling short of being a perfect person. And all of us do that constantly. So when it says that if you have been born of God, that you are dead to sin, that doesn't mean that it's impossible for a Christian to sin. And there's many, many, many other scriptures. Over in 1 John Chapter two, it says in verse one, it says, my little children, these things have I written unto you that you sin not. Why would he even tell Christians that he's writing these things to keep them from sinning if they couldn't sin? And then he says in the next verse, and if any man sin, we have an advocate with the father, Jesus Christ, the righteous, who is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. So he's talking to Christians and he's telling you that he's writing these things to keep you from sinning. But if you do sin, God is our advocate. So anyway, it's a well-established fact and you don't have to look any further than the mirror to understand that Christians can sin. Amen. So when it says we're dead to sin, what does that mean? You know, the word dead in the Bible is different than what most of us think of when we think of the word dead. You know, people think that when a person dies, well, that's it, they're gone. That's the end, over. But in the Bible, death doesn't mean the end of anything because death really is not the end. A person doesn't cease to exist when they die, but they separate from this physical body. And so death in the Bible, it's more accurately described as separation. When Adam and Eve sinned, it says, in the day you eat of the fruit, you will surely die. They didn't die physically for 930 years, but they were separated instantly from God in their spirit man. They were united to God. There was zero separation But after they sinned, their spirit died. That didn't mean that it quit functioning. 
A person who doesn't know the Lord has a spirit that functions, but it functions separate from God. It actually functions in union and cooperation with the devil. In Ephesians chapter two, verse one, it talks, or verse one, two, and three, it talks about that you were by nature the children of wrath, even as other. And the spirit of this world was working in the children of disobedience. There is a demonic spirit that operates in people that don't know the Lord. I know that's not politically correct today, but I'm, you know, let me turn over and read this to you because some of you are saying, I don't believe that. <laughs> well, let me just read it to you. And I know a lot of you still won't believe it even after I read it to you. Most people do not let the Bible get in the way of what they believe. But let me show you what the Bible says. In Ephesians chapter two, verse one, it says, and you hath he quickened or made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. You weren't dead in the sense that you weren't living, but you were separated from God is what this is talking about. In verse two, wherein in time past, you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. It's talking about the prince of the power of the air is the spirit that works in the children of disobedience. There is a spirit at work in unbelievers. And it's not God's spirit. It's a demonic power. And in verse three, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind and were by nature the children of wrath even as others. Our nature was actually connected to the devil. We had a fallen, corrupt nature on the inside of us. And this is why the Bible says that you must be born again. Some people don't understand this and they think, well, if my good outweighs my bad, then God's gonna accept me. That's not the way that it works. It doesn't matter if you're the best sinner in this auditorium tonight. Who wants to be the best sinner that ever went to hell? All of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God and you are by nature a child of the devil. You were born in trespasses and sin is what David said in, Isaiah, in Psalms chapter 51. And I know some people think this is offensive. Well, you're gonna find out someday that I'm true, that what I'm saying is true. It'd be better to believe it now than to wait before you stand before God and you don't have an opportunity to change. I'm telling you, this is what the Bible teaches, that you were by nature a child of the devil. And this is the reason that Jesus said you must be born again. It's not a matter of living a good life and quit doing something and start doing something else. It's your nature that has to change, not just your actions. Christianity is not behavior modification. It's getting a brand new nature. You become a brand new creature. And if all you've done is go to church and try and become moral and try and be a little less bad and a little more good, you will split hell wide open. Because you can be better than I am, but that's not good enough. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Jesus is the glory of God. Every one of us have sinned and come short of Jesus. None of us lived up to that standard. And the only way to get into heaven is to have your nature changed. That's the reason Jesus said you gotta be born again. 
You were born with a nature that was united to the devil. Now you've got to be born from above with a nature that is God living on the inside of you. And that's what happens at salvation. At true salvation, your nature changes. Your body doesn't change. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. All things are become new. Just by observation, you can tell that that's not talking about your body. If you were a man before you got saved, you're still going to be a man after you get saved. If you were a woman, you were you're going to still be a woman. If you were fat, you're going to still be fat. If you were ugly, you're still going to be ugly. Amen. Your body doesn't change. And your soul, your middle part, isn't the part of you that changes either. You know what? When you get saved, you still will remember your family, not my family. You'll still have your memories. You'll still have your hangups. You'll still have your fears. You'll still have your phobias. Your mind and emotions don't instantly change. Now, they can be changed as you follow the Lord and submit to him, he can renew you, but you don't instantly change. So by observation, you can tell that when it says you're a new creature, old things have passed away, all things have become new. That's not talking about your body and it's not talking about your soul, your emotional, mental part. And most people, that's all that they really perceive about themselves is just the physical, natural, emotional realm. But according to the Bible, there's a third part to you, and that's your spirit. Your spirit and soul are not the same thing. They're separate. And the spirit is the part of you that got changed. And the moment you got born again, you got a brand new nature. You are no longer by nature a child of the devil, as it described over here in Ephesians chapter 2. But you are now by nature a child of God. And this is what Paul is referring to in Romans chapter six. He says, should we continue in sin? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin? The word sin here, I wished I had the time to explain this, but the word sin is used, I believe it's 48 or 49 times in the book of Romans. And all but one of those times, it's a noun and not a verb. What this means is a noun describes a person, place, or a thing. A verb describes an action of a noun, a person, place, or thing. So a sin, what most of us, when we talk about sins, did you see that sin? You're talking about the action of a person. But the Bible, especially in the book of Romans, when it talks about sin, it's talking about a noun, a person, place or thing. It's talking about that sin nature, this spirit that was separated from God. And it's always talking about it as being something that we are dead to, separated from. So when he says that you are dead to sin, this is talking about you have been separated from that old sin nature that used to make you live in sin. You don't have a sin nature that compels you to be a sinner after you get born again. Your nature has been changed. And this is what he's saying. He says, how could we live in sin? Because we are dead to sin. Some of you are thinking right now, I'm not dead to sin. 
I can sin with the best of them. There are some of you that think, man, I just have to hang on for all it's worth to keep from going and living in sin. And yet I know I'm saved. What are you talking about? Your spirit is dead to sin. It's impossible for your sin spirit to sin. As a matter of fact, keep your finger here. I, I am gonna get through Romans chapter six in the name of Jesus. But look over here in 1 John chapter three. 1 John chapter three, and I'll explain a verse to you that used to puzzle me a long time ago. But in 1 John chapter three, in verse nine, it says, whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin for his seed remaineth in him and he cannot sin because he is born of God. What does that mean? Does that mean that if you sin that you aren't truly born of God? The only part of you that is born of God is your spirit. Your body's not born of God. Your soul's not born of God. To prove that the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, that this mortal, talking about your physical body, has to put on immortality. This corruptible has to put on incorruption. We're gonna be changed in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye. Your body is not your glorified body. It's not saved. It's been purchased, but it's not redeemed. It hasn't been cashed in. We have a future fulfillment of the salvation of our bodies. Your body's not saved right now. And it's also not talking about your soul, your mental, emotional part, because the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 that we only know in part and we prophesy in part, but someday that which is perfect, talking about your glorified body is gonna come and that which is in part will be done away with. Well, we haven't, our mind's not totally renewed yet. We don't know all things even as we are known. So you know that your soul, your mental part isn't, Saved. It's been redeemed, but it's not been cashed in. You are going to have a glorified body. You are going to have a glorified mind that will know everything, but you don't have those now. But your spirit is completely saved. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. And your spirit is perfect. It's perfect. It's pure. And old things have passed away. Everything in your spirit is brand new and you are separated now, dead to that old sin nature. And let me say some things here that this is gonna, this will be hard for some of you to handle because again, this is so contrary to religion. We've been taught, most people aren't even taught about really a sin nature. Most people don't go that deep. But the people who do get into religion are taught that we have a sin nature even after you get born again, that you basically have dual natures. You're born again and have this, the nature of God and at the same time you have the nature of the devil on the inside of you. That's what most people believe, that you're schizophrenic <laughs> and that you have a dual nature. And it just depends on which one you feed the most, which one wins. That's not what this is saying. Back in, uh, well, let's see, I didn't finish here in 1 John chapter three. It says that whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin for his seed remains in him and he cannot sin because he is born of God. Many people have tried to get around this. You'll even find some of the translations 
that it says you can't habitually sin. In other words, you might sin, but you won't just continue to do it. You might have been a drug addict and you might do drugs a little bit, a few times after you get born again, but you won't habitually be a drug addict anymore. You might have been an alcoholic, but you won't habitually be an alcoholic anymore. You might have been addicted to pornography, but you won't be habitually addicted to it. That's the way some people try and deal with this verse. But you know what? It's not just the big 10 that this is talking about. Again, sin is referring to even the things you're supposed to do that you fail to do. And we habitually fail to be the person we're supposed to be. Did you know that there are scriptures that talk about gluttony? Gluttony is a sin. Gluttony means eating more than your body needs. And you know what? If you're overweight, the only way you get there is to eat more than your body needs. I'm not against you. I'm overweight. I'm dealing with it. Amen. I didn't deal with it real good today, but, <laughs> but I am dealing with it. Believe it or not, I'm 25 pounds lighter than I used to be. Praise God. And so I'm not condemning anybody else, but I am saying if you're overweight, that's sin and it has to be habitual sin. You can't get fat off of overeating one time. Did you know that you could eat and eat and eat until you literally pass out and you could gain a few pounds, but you cannot be 20, 30, 40, 50, 100 pounds overweight unless you habitually sin. So if you're going to say that 1 John chapter 3, verse 9 is talking about habitual sin, well, then anybody who's fat can't be saved. That's not what this is saying. The only way to understand this is your spirit. Your spirit is the only part of you that is born of God and it can not sin. Your spirit doesn't have any propensity to sin, any desire to sin. That's the reason why if you walk in the spirit, you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Galatians chapter five around verse 16. The spirit doesn't sin. Your spirit is holy and pure. Your spirit has been totally renewed. Your born again part of you is absolutely awesome. It can't sin. It doesn't desire to sin. And somebody says, yeah, but it's that old man that's on the inside of me that's the problem. Well, here's a real shocker. You don't have an old man. Your old man is dead and gone. You're separated from it. Some of you think, I can't believe you said that. Go back to Romans chapter six. In verse three, knowing or know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death. Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death that like as Christ was raised from the dead, by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Notice the should here. It's not an automatic that you walk in newness of life, but you should if you knew the truth. And in verse five, it says, for if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, this is talking about a death to that sin nature to the old man, we shall be also 
in the likeness of his resurrection. And look at verse six, knowing this, this is all dependent upon what you know. If you don't know the right things, wrong thinking produces wrong believing. You've got to know something and you have to know this. Let's go back to verse five. For if we've been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. That's what we all want is to be walking in resurrection life. Not only concerning our physical bodies, but our emotions, our relationships, flowing in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, relating to God. We want to walk in newness of life, but you have to, in verse six, know this that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. This says your old man is crucified with him. It has been put to death. And yet the average Christian doesn't believe that, or they believe that it resurrects every morning. Yeah, I died with Christ a long time ago, but every morning I die again. I mean, I resurrect again. You are imputing unto the devil and unto sin resurrection power, which it doesn't have. You do not raise from the dead every day. Your old man does not raise from the dead. Your old man was crucified with him. It's dead. And look at the very next verse down here. In verse seven, For he that is dead is freed from sin. Notice it didn't say he that is dead is free from sin. It says you've been freed. There's a difference between being freed and being free. You know, during the Civil War, they actually, President Lincoln issued the Emancipation Proclamation. But did you know that many of the slave owners didn't give the word to their slaves? And there are documented cases of slaves that continued in slavery. They were not free even though they had been freed because they weren't told the truth. They still thought that they were slaves. Christians today are still slaves to their sin nature, to their old man. Even though you've been freed, very few people are free because they don't know this. They don't know what the word says. They believe they've got that sin nature still on the inside of them. And so because of that, the average Christian will only give a token resistance against sin. And if sin just keeps knocking at the door, after a while they give in because you're a sinner. That's your nature. You're a failure. You see yourself as a failure. And so you, oh God, help me. But after a while, I can't help it. I'm just an old sinner saved by grace. Truth is you aren't an old sinner saved by grace. You were an old sinner and you got saved by grace and now that old man is gone and you are the righteousness of God. You have a brand new nature. And the reason you give in to sin is because you see yourself as being a sinner. If you saw yourself as being a saint, if you ever understood what Jesus has done for you, you would live holy as a byproduct. At Proverbs 23, seven, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. The reason most of us are living a sinful, defeated life where we don't have the joy and the power and the victory of God flowing through us is because we see ourselves as an old sinner. We don't see ourselves righteous and holy and united with God. If you saw who you were and really had a revelation of it, I guarantee you, you would live holier accidentally than you've ever lived on purpose before. 
but we see ourselves as a sinner. We see ourselves as a failure. We just think I can't do it. The world has beat us down. The devil has beat us down. You know, I do a lot of stuff with wood and I build things and make things. And uh, anyway, I'm learning how to do all kinds of things. I'm building stuff and I really enjoy it. But you know, I have to fight just thinking I can't do this. I can't do this. It's, you know, beyond my ability. And I am renewing myself that I can do all things through Christ. And I'm doing things that I've never done before and it's exciting. But I had this mindset from back when I was a kid that, you know, I just never did anything real good. I was an introvert. I couldn't look at people in the face. I couldn't talk to people. Now I preach to millions of people every day. God will call you to do something that you can't do in yourself. When I was on the football team, I was the center on the football team. And I remember in the division playoffs, we were backed up against the goal line. We were on the one yard line. So the guy who was punting the ball couldn't stand back the normal 15 yards. He was only about 10 yards and I centered the ball high and it went over his head and they recovered it in the end zone. And we lost the division championship because of my centering. That's the way my whole life went. Man, I was the bad guy in the whole school. 2,500 people hated me the next day. (laughs) And that's just the way my whole life, I was always making, I was always messing up. That's the reason I was an introvert. I was afraid I'd mess up. And so you just tend to not do very much so that you can't mess up very much. And you know what? I have to overcome that. We've all in a sense been cowed and intimidated through our failures and we just feel like, well, I'm a failure. And that's the reason that we don't expect very much. Most people shoot at nothing and hit it every time. (laughs) And you gotta, it's because we see ourselves still as an old sinner. If you ever knew who you were in Christ, I guarantee you, you would come alive. You would quit settling for sickness and disease and poverty and depression and defeat. But people accept that stuff because they think, well, after all, I'm just an old sinner saved by grace. You aren't. That old man is dead. You have to know this, that your old man is dead. It's been crucified with Christ and it never resurrects. Somebody is thinking, now, wait a minute. If I don't have an old man, what is it inside of me that drives me to sin? I will admit this, that there is a lust on the inside of every person to sin. It seems like that in many ways, sin is more attractive than godliness. That's not true, but many times it looks that way. It's easier to sin than it is to live holy. You know, it's like it's easier to get sick than it is to get well. In a fallen world, everything goes from from good to bad. It doesn't go from bad to good. You don't put one good apple in a basket of rotten apples and have all of the rest of them get good. The bad ones, one bad apple will make all the good apples bad. You can have one person who's sick and it will infect other people with sickness, but you could put a well person in the midst of a bunch of sick people and it will not make them well. Our world just goes from good to bad. And there inside of us, there is this desire, this propensity for sin. 
And so people suppose that I still have this old sinful nature, but the Bible here says you got to know this, that your old man's crucified with Christ and you are dead, you are freed from sin. So why is it that we have this tendency? And it goes back to the fact that before you were born again, you were by nature a child of the devil. You had the spirit of this world working in you. And when you were born, you were born in sin. It doesn't mean that your parents sinned by having you, but you were born with a sin nature. You were born separated from God. You don't have to take a little child and say, now you be selfish. You be angry. You throw a fit. No, it just comes naturally. It is the nature of a child to live in sin. They may be cute and they look innocent, but they have a sin nature and left to themselves, a child is gonna sin because not their sins don't make them a sinner. It's their sin nature that makes them sin. And so you were born that way. The spirit of the world was operating in you and it trained you how to think and how to be. Your mind is similar to a computer. When you came into this world, your mind was a blank slate. You didn't know how to talk. You didn't know how to walk. You didn't know how to feed yourself. You didn't know how to control your bowels. You didn't know how to control yourself. You had to be taught all of these things and you were programmed in a sense. And guess who was in control when you were being programmed? That old sinful nature. You had a sin nature on the inside of you that taught you to be selfish, taught you to fear. Did you know kids don't come out of the womb fearful? Man, kids aren't afraid of anything. They, ha they hadn't been taught to fear. Those of you who are afraid of heights, those of you who are afraid of certain things, you're afraid of bugs, you're afraid of this, you were taught to be all that stuff. It doesn't come naturally. You've been programmed, you were taught fear-based stuff. That is not your nature. It was your nature, this demonic thing taught you all of this bad stuff. And now that you've been born again, that old man is gone, dead and non-existence. It is not forcing you to sin, but it left behind a body. Look at this again in Romans chapter six. You have to know this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed. What's the body of sin? Well, it's just like when a person dies, their spirit separates from their body. Their spirit doesn't cease to exist. It just separates from their body. And when it separates, it leaves behind a body. And did you know for a period of time, a person can look alive when their spirit's gone and the body's dead, but it leaves behind the body. I've actually walked into a room one time where a woman was dead and I thought she was alive. I thought she was asleep. And I sat there for a long time waiting on her to wake up before I realized she was dead. <laughs> she left behind the body. A friend of mine, he worked at Parkland Hospital in Dallas where President Kennedy was taken after he was shot and he worked in the morgue on the 13th floor and he actually pulled a body out of a slab, put it on a, a metal table and he was getting ready to do an autopsy. And so he put the body there. He turned around to get some tools and when he turned back around, the body was sitting up 
and his arms were swinging like this and his eyes and mouth were open looking at this guy. He said he nearly jumped right out that 13th story window. He went screaming down the hall and he got people and they came back and they examined this corpse and it was dead. But you know what? There were electrical shocks that sometimes will still jerk and his muscles contracted and he sat up and it made him look like he was alive, but he was dead. So when a person dies, they leave behind the body. Did you know when your old man died, he left behind the body? You know what the body is? Your unrenewed mind. He left behind a computer that he had programmed how to be selfish, how to operate in fear, how to lust, how to hate, how to do all of this. And the only thing that is driving you to sin is an unrenewed mind, not a nature that it's your nature to live that way. You've been changed and it's now your nature to live for God, but you don't know this. Most of us don't know this and so we just identify with sin. We identify with failure and say, after all, I've been a drunk my whole life. I just, you know, this is just who I am. This is why I disagree with AA and Al-Anon and stuff like that. Now don't come talk to me because every time I mention this, somebody will come talk to me. And so you don't understand. God used that to set me free. And I know that there's people that get help through that. And I know that there's some people that it helps, but I fundamentally disagree with it because they, I've been to AA meetings, not as a patient, but <laughs> taking people that I've been witnessing to. And they start by saying, hello, my name's Andrew. I've been a drunk for 20 years. I've been sober for three years and uh, y'all pray for me or something like that. You're starting by identifying as a drunk, as a doper, and you, you are still that. You just have been sober for a short period of time, but that's your core, that's your nature, that's who you are. And they will say, you're only one drink away from being back a drunk. But when Jesus sets you free, you, he changes you. You are no longer an old drunk. You are no longer a doper. You are no longer an adulterer. You're no longer a murderer. You're no longer a thief. You've been changed. You're brand new. And if you knew this, if you were to embrace this, it would automatically break the dominion of sin over you. Look down here. I probably won't get this far, so look in Romans chapter 6, verse 14. Sin shall not have dominion over you. Remember, the word sin is not a verb. It's a noun. This isn't talking about actions of sin. It's talking about the sin nature. This old man shall not have dominion over you for you are not under the law, but under grace. When you understand this, it breaks the dominion of sin over you. You know, I go into people's homes all the time and they have dogs that they keep in the house, which I'm not against that. You can have a dog in your house if you want to, but man, I, my dogs, I don't have one right now, but I, they always stayed outside, even in Colorado. I built them a nice warm place to stay, but they're dogs, amen. I don't keep them in my house. But I go into people's house all the time that have dogs in their house and they, they train these dogs how to, you know, use a certain spot to relieve themselves. And, and yet, they nearly always mess up. They nearly always, you know, wind up urinating or doing something where they shouldn't. And they just get so embarrassed. And one of the, you know, you walk in 
and they will stick their nose in places that they should never <laughs> stick their nose. And they'll sit there and lick themselves in places right in front of you that they shouldn't be licking themselves. And all of these people, they get so embarrassed. Oh, like, oh, I'm so sorry that they did that to, oh, I'm so sorry that you saw this. And you know, a dog will go up and stick his nose right in the rear of another dog and sniff it. And they'll sit there and, oh, we're, we're so sorry. We're so, and I say, hey, they're dogs. You know why they act that way? Because they're a dog. You can clean them up. You can put a bow in their hair and paint their toenails, but they're still a dog. I, I, know I'm, I know I'm bothering some of you because you love your dog as much as you love a kid, but I'm telling you, they're dogs. And the reason they act like that is because they're dogs. And as long as you think you're a sinner, you're gonna act like a sinner because that's who you are. That's your nature, that's your core. You got an identity problem. But if you could ever see that I am now the righteousness of God, you'd wind up acting like it. You know, Kenneth Hagin said that if he ever had a natural ability, a, a God-given talent, it was the ability to pick a lock. And before he got born again, they always came to him and used him to break in and steal stuff because he never saw a lock that he couldn't pick. And so he was a guy that picked all of the locks and they broke into businesses and stole stuff and did things like that. And then Kenneth Hagin got born again and the very next day they came and asked him to pick a lock. And he says, I can't do it. They said, what do you mean you can't do it? You can pick any lock. And he says, I'm a new person. He says, I'm not the same man. And because he had a revelation that he had become a new creature in Christ Jesus and he saw himself differently, he said he just totally lost that ability. He couldn't pick a lock if he wanted to. It totally changed his nature when he saw that he was a different person. There are some of you that you've gone out and committed adultery and you've lived like a dog. And now that you're born again, you don't live that way anymore, but you still see yourself as defiled and unworthy, and you see yourself as a second-class person, you hide those things in shame and stuff because you don't want anybody to know who you really are. I'm telling you, you're new. You're a brand new person. You aren't that anymore. You know, I understand that you need to use discretion. You just don't want to go out and give Satan free publicity and tell everybody what you used to do. But if you could use your testimony to help somebody else and to tell them, look what I used to do and what I used to be bound by and now I'm set free. I know many Christians that will not share it because they're still shameful. They still see that as who they are and they're trying to hide that part of them. But I'm telling you, you're a brand new person and you ought to have zero shame. You ought to be so identified with your new nature that you don't have any shame and you will share it any way that you can to help glorify God and help somebody else show them how they can get free. And you don't stand up by starting to say, you know what, I've been an adulterer for 20 years and I've been good for 10. <laughs> no, you stand up and say, I used to be these things, but man, I am a new creature. Jesus has changed my life. I'm different. And if you could truly see who you are in Christ, you would start living that way. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. If you saw yourself holy, you would live holy. 
The reason a pig lies in slop is because that's its nature. And if you see yourself as a pig, if you see yourself as these things, you'll wind up doing that. But if you see yourself as holy and pure, you know, you take like a cat and cats are real clean and they're always cleaning themselves and doing this. And you get a cat dirty and I guarantee that cat's gonna get hairballs cleaning itself, trying to get over this. It's not the nature of a cat to live in filth the way that a pig does. And when you see your new nature, you will want to be clean. You'll want to be holy. You'll see that God, thank you for this wonderful thing you've done. Thank you that I'm as clean and pure as Jesus is because it's your spirit that you've given me and it will inspire you to live holy. That's what this is saying. In verse five, let me go back again. If you have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that your old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, talking about this unrenewed mind, the wrong programming. And the results of that will be that henceforth we shall not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Now, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. And and again, verse nine says, you have to know this, that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more. Death hath no more dominion over him. You gotta recognize that this death to sin was a one-time deal. In the same way that Christ died to sin once, He doesn't die to sin over. Jesus doesn't get up and bear our sins over and over and over. He died to sin one time. He took sin and became our punishment for our sin one time and he never is gonna do this again. Hebrews chapter six says you can never put Jesus to an open shame. You can never crucify him afresh. And in verse 10, it says, for in that he died, he died unto sin once. But in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise, reckon ye yourselves to be dead indeed in truth unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. You are dead to sin. That sin nature is gone. There is nothing in you that compels you to sin except stinking thinking, wrong programming, the fact that you were taught to think one way and you are still choosing to think that way but you can be changed. It says in Romans chapter 12, verses one and two, it says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And verse two says, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Notice how you get transformed. That word transformed is the Greek word metamorpho. It's the word we get metamorphosis from where a caterpillar spins a cocoon, this little creepy crawly thing, comes out a beautiful butterfly. How does that happen? How do you get transformed? How do you get metamorphosized? It's by the renewing of your mind. Your spirit has been changed. You got a new spirit, a new nature. There is nothing in you that is compelling you to sin. Matter of fact, everything that's on the inside of you is trying to compel you to holiness and to victory. 
but you got to know something. You got to renew your mind. You got to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And this is where we're missing it. And one of the very first things you have to start with is to know that you are no longer bound to this sin. You've been delivered from sin. The old man is dead and gone. That's the first step in the process. As long as you continue to identify that I'm just an old sinner, saved by grace, I'm a terrible person, my nature is bad, oh God, I'm so unworthy, I come before you, we are such a worm. If you're talking about your physical body and your failings, well then yes, compared to God, it's nothing. But in your spirit, you are the righteousness of God. You are holy and pure and you need to start coming to God with an attitude of a person who's been redeemed a person who's been changed, a person who is no longer the same. Did you know when I was a little kid, I don't know why, maybe other people had this problem, but I used to really have trouble buttoning my shirt. My, I remember my dad sitting me down, and I mean, I was old enough to remember him teaching me how to button my shirt, because when I buttoned it, it had always come out wrong. And uh, so he had to teach me how to button my shirt. But you know what, I'm now 65, nearly 66 years old, and I buttoned my own shirt tonight. <laughs> I don't even remember doing it. But I know I did, because nobody else dressed me, so I had to have buttoned my shirt. And you know, it's like it's now just my nature. But I can tell you it wasn't always that way, because I can remember struggling to button my shirt. It, I programmed myself to do this and I've done it so many times now. It seems like it's my nature. I don't even remember doing it. I don't even think about it. I just do it naturally, but it's not natural. It's an acquired trait. Likewise, some of you think, well, I just sin naturally. No, you were programmed how to do it. And you may have done it so many times that you think it's your nature, but it's not. You think, well, everybody in my family, we're just type A personality and I've got, an, I've got an attitude and I just blow up and I've got a short fuse and this is just the way it is. No, you were programmed to be that way. I know many of you disagree with that and you're entitled to your opinion, but I'm not gonna agree with you or we'd both be wrong. I'm telling you, you were programmed to be the way that you are. You were taught, you indulged this. Your surroundings, your environment may have had a lot to do with it, but you made a choice. And now that you're born again, you've got an entirely different set of emotions. Galatians chapter five, verse 22 and 23 says the fruit of the spirit, which is not only talking about the Holy Spirit, but it says in 1 Corinthians six seventeen, he that's joined unto the Lord is one spirit. So whatever is true of the Holy Spirit is also true of your born again spirit. So <coughs> you could say this about the Holy Spirit, or you could say it about your own spirit, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. Against such there is no law. Every one of you who've been born again have love in your heart. And you may say, no, I'm not a loving person. You're in the flesh. You aren't walking in the Spirit. In the spirit, you are full of love, God's kind of love. Some of you say, but I fight depression. Well, that's in your flesh. You haven't renewed, <coughs> excuse me, you haven't renewed your mind. You're still operating under the programming that that old man gave you, but your born again spirit has love, joy, and peace in it. 
Your spirit is just rejoicing and praising God constantly. There is no depression <coughs> in your spirit. Your spirit is perfect. Man, what I'm saying right here is just blowing some of you away. Again, you know, part of the programming of the old man is psychology. We got a lot of psychology in our world today and sad to say the church has embraced it. And many of you think you can't help the way you are. You were sexually abused when you were a child. You had this happen to you. You weren't treated well. Nobody showed you respect. And so you just embraced that you are gonna be a jerk the rest of your life. You're gonna be messed up the rest of your life. That's a lie. That's the old man that taught you that. And if you feel that way, if you are still bound by what happened to you 20 and 30 and 40 years ago, it's because you haven't seen who you are in Christ. You still think you are this old person who's been abused. You haven't identified your new nature. You don't know that you are now united with God. He that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. Your spirit is identical to his. You've got love, joy, and peace. You've got the mind of Christ. You've got the holiness of Christ. You are perfect in your spirit. You can step out of that flesh and you can step into who you are in Christ and it'll change you. I've had a lot of people come to me that were in mental institutions and I mean just crazy, absolutely lost their mind and get hold of this teaching and they find out they don't have to be that way anymore and they've been totally restored. One of them I'm thinking about for the last 20 years has been out preaching the gospel, a woman that was totally set free and she was committed to a mental institution for life and it set her free when she found out that she was a new person on the inside. But as long as you embrace that, oh, this is the way I've been and my life is messed up and this was done to me and so I'm gonna have to limp through life the rest of my life and just bear these things. That's not true. Jesus sets you free. When I was in the Baptist church, they actually took a two before and they drove nails in it. They said this two before is your heart and these nails are sins. And he says, when you get born again, God pulls the nails and they pull the nails out of this board, but then they showed you the board and it was just totally destroyed and messed up with holes all in it. And they said, God removes the sins, but you'll be a sinner the rest of your life. A sinner that has had your sins removed, but you are just an old sinner saved by grace. But you know what a better illustration would be to take a board, drive nails in it, and then when you get born again, just throw that one away and give you a brand new board. Amen. Your spirit is not stained by sin. Your spirit doesn't have any unholiness in it. Your spirit, the born again spirit on the inside of you is exactly the way it will be in eternity. One third of your salvation is over. Your spirit is perfect, pure, holy. First John 4, 17 says, as he is, speaking of Jesus, so are we in this world. Not so are we going to be in the next world, so are we in this world. That's talking about your spirit. Your spirit is holy and pure. You got love, joy, and peace. You do not have an old spirit. You don't have a dual spirit. You don't have the spirit that's born of God and a spirit of the devil. 
The spirit that was of the devil, that old man is dead, it is gone. Just like Christ died one time, it's over, he'll never die again. You died to your old man one time, it'll never happen again. And the only thing that's lacking is you hadn't reprogrammed your computer. You are still seeing yourself as being inadequate and failure. You gotta see yourself in Christ. You gotta find out what your new nature is like. And I tell you, brothers and sisters, once you understood, if you understood what Jesus has done for you, you would not be living the inferior life that most Christians are living. If you understood that your spirit had the same power in it that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, Ephesians 1:18. If you understood that, you would not let the doctor say you're going to die and just accept it as well. I'm only human. I'm not only human. One third of me is wall to wall Holy Ghost. One third of me has the resurrection life of God in it. And praise God, I do not have to be sick and I do not have to die of sickness and things like this. I do not have to be depressed. It's been, I had somebody ask me tonight, says, you know, I, how do you deal with it when you get depressed and when you're down and how do you encourage yourself? And I said, I hadn't been depressed in 46 years. They just looked at me like, you gotta be kidding. That's my testimony and I'm sticking with it. And I've had a lot of bad things happen to me. I was told that my son was dead. And you know what, just like anybody, I'd start, I started having depression and discouragement. He had been dead for nearly five hours. And I started having grief. I felt those things, but I don't like them. And I found out who I am in Christ. And in Christ, I've got love, joy, and peace. And Deuteronomy 30:19 says, Behold, I set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that you and your seed may live. God gave me the choice. And that should be a no-brainer between life and death, blessing and cursing. But just in case somebody doesn't understand, he says, choose life, amen. I'm gonna give you a pop quiz. A, life, B, death. Choose life, that's the answer. <laughs> and since I get to choose, I just chose not to be depressed. And I started thanking God out loud at the top of my lungs, just praising God. God, you did not kill my son. You are not the, my problem. Thank you that you're a good God. I told him if my son never comes back from the dead, it's not gonna affect me. I'm gonna love you and I'm gonna rejoice in the Lord always. I'll bless the Lord at all times. And anyway, it's a long story, but my son who had been dead for nearly five hours was raised from the dead. He was in a morgue, in a cooler, stripped naked with a toe tag on. And he sat up and started talking. And today he's alive and well and I've got a... And I've got a granddaughter who'll be turning 13 next week who was born the year after that that I wouldn't have had. And you know why? Because I just, I do not get depressed. I don't believe in being depressed. I, it's a choice. I have depressing things come at me. I have lots of bad things. If I was to tell you some of my problems, most of you would be depressed. <laughs> I got a lot of problems. I got. I got thousands of people who hate me, who've written blogs about me as being of the devil and, 
I've got people that lie about me and say and do things. I, if I wanted to, I could be depressed. But I don't want to be. And I found out that I've got love, joy, and peace, and I've got a choice. There's times that I feel depression, but I don't give in to it, and I resist it, and I'll start praising God. And I hadn't been depressed in 46 years, and I won't be depressed the rest of my life. If you're depressed, you chose to be depressed. And I know some of you, that depresses you. <laughs> some of you are saying, you're saying it's my fault. Yep, that's exactly what I'm saying, amen. It is your fault that you are depressed. But you don't understand it's my hormones. No, it's not. I read a thing in a magazine on an airplane and they spent three years and millions of dollars on a study and it was about people who smile. And they came to the conclusion that people that smile are happier than people who don't smile. <laughs> I wish they'd have given me all those millions of dollars. I could have told them that without studying it for three years. <laughs> and they came to this conclusion, if you'll smile more, you'll be happier. And I thought, how dumb can you get and still breathe? <laughs> it's not smiling that makes you happy, it's being happy that makes you smile. And it never occurred to these brilliant people to figure that out. And so I'm saying, yeah, I understand that people have chemical imbalances and hormone problems, but it's not your hormones that caused you to be depressed, it's your depression that causes your body to put out all of this junk and disturbs everything. Am I denying that you could take a pill and balance that out and affect your emotions? No, I'm not denying it. But if you look at all of the side effects of pills, you know, and it's like, I've seen advertisements where they talk about depression and then you take this pill, but it could cause death, suicidal thoughts, on and on. And I think, man, give me back my depression. You can take a pill and you can change. You, there are mood altering drugs, but you could also just find out who you are in Christ and say, I've got love, joy, and peace. And I'm only gonna think on things that are of good report and I'm gonna keep my mind stayed on God. And Isaiah 26, three says, the Lord will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon him. And if you would keep your mind staying on the Lord, you don't ever have to be depressed. And when something bad happens and you get a depressing thought, reject it. And instead, choose to praise God and you can walk in absolute victory. I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, when I found out that there was a spirit on the inside of me that was identical to Jesus, because it's his spirit that was given to me, and my old man was gone, and the only thing the only thing that was holding me back was stinking thinking, an unrenewed mind. When I saw that, man, it was a key. I just put my heart on renewing my mind, finding out what the Word of God said, changing the way I think, and it has transformed my life. I haven't arrived, but I've left. And I'm telling you, I'm experiencing victory that I could only dream of back 46 years ago. And God is doing awesome things in my life. And this is the key, is understanding that you aren't an old man anymore. You don't have this sinful nature. You aren't a failure. 
You aren't a sinner that just barely got saved by grace and you're gonna have to limp into heaven. You are the righteousness of God. You've been transformed. And if you found out who you were, sin would not have dominion over you for you aren't under the law, but you're under grace. Man, isn't that good news? Praise God for Jesus. Thank God for what Jesus has done. The great exchange. He didn't just cover your sins. He didn't just pull the nails out of the board. He took that old thing and threw it away and made you a brand new creature in Christ Jesus. You have the exact same potential that Jesus has because it is the spirit of Jesus that was sent into your heart crying, Abba, Father, Galatians chapter four. Brothers and sisters, Jesus has done everything. You don't need him to do something. You don't need to pray for another outpouring. You don't need to pray for a double dose of the Holy Ghost. You don't need to have a new move. You just need to find out what God has already done and begin to start walking in it. And I guarantee you, you become stronger than horseradish. Amen? (laughs) Praise God. That's good news. That's great news. Thank you, Jesus. You know, if there's anybody here tonight who has never made Jesus your personal Lord. We hope your heart has been quickened by hearing the Word of God through this message. It's the faithful support of people like you who make this ministry possible. We invite you to prayerfully consider becoming a partner with Andrew Womack Ministries. We maintain a website at awmi.net. Our helpline number is 719-635-1111, or you can write us at P.O. Box 3333, Colorado Springs, Colorado, 80934. Until next time, we pray that you'll reach out by faith and receive everything that's yours through God's grace.